I'm Ivor Wolf. Welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. On this episode, you are going to hear from one of the most respected thought leaders on the future of work, Kate Lister. And she's been researching and studying remote and hybrid work for so long that it was called telecommuting and telework when she started. I just want to make sure the listeners understand who we've got on the air here today. You are so respected. You've been recognized by Congress, which in itself is no small feat. You were one of three witnesses to testify about the future of work in government in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So for all the listeners, you're really going to want to pay attention to what Kate has to say today, because it surely will make us all a lot smarter. And Jason, uh, let me throw out a couple things here. These were some findings in a report that Kate's uh, organization, the consulting firm, released. It was in a white paper. You can look it up, the business case for remote work. So if employers could collectively save $500 billion a year or $11,000 employees who, if they can work at home just half the time, amazing number. Employees could collectively save over $149 billion a year or $3,000 a person and save the equivalent of 14 days, two weeks vacation, if they wouldn't waste their time sitting in traffic commuting. And it's not just employers and employees who would benefit, but the environment too, because the greenhouse gas equivalent of not going to work every day, not driving, sitting in traffic, doing the old routine, that five-day-of-work thing that we were used to for decades, it's literally the equivalent of taking the entire state of New York's workforce off the road for a year, and we'd have 80,000 less traffic accidents or deaths during that time. What I'm wondering, and we'll get to this with Kate today, is why the heck don't we have more companies signing up for this? If it's good for companies and it's good for people, why don't we do this? And I think back to when COVID-19 first started, Ira, and after we were a few months into that in March of 2019, I remember the news where because no one was commuting to work, there were wild animals coming from the forest that were crossing roads. And they were talking about how, I can't remember the numbers, but the number of greenhouse gas emissions were greatly reduced. And we started seeing just small little bursts of improvement in the environment. So uh, I'm excited to hear from Kate on this because if so many people want it, why aren't we doing it more consistently in our organizations? Just a little bit of background on Kate. She's the president of Global Workplace Analytics. It's a research-based consulting firm that has been helping communities and organizations optimize the employer, the employee, and environmental outcomes of flexible and distributed workplace strategies for nearly two decades. She has a proprietary tool, which includes a database of 6,000 research papers, but also includes a telework savings calculator. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that. Uh, it was described in a report to Congress, which I mentioned earlier, as being the most comprehensive tool based on solid research. She's written and co-authored five business books, including a chapter on telework in the 21st century. You've probably seen her work in New York Times, Washington Post, 
Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, many others. So without further ado, let's welcome Kate to the Geek Skeezers Googleization Show. Great to be here. I can't wait to hear what I have to say after that introduction. <laughs> I know. I always hate when that happens to me. And I know Jason as well. It's okay. Now we got to live up to that expectation. <laughs> Myra, that book came out in December of 2019. <laughs> the telework in the 21st century. It was a global study of what we call telework across uh, six countries. That's amazing, Kate. And my book, uh, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, which the first half of the book is about change and the last half about was about recruitment marketing. I published the first edition in 2017. And there was a couple updates and things were happening in the, in the fall, just like you, in the fall of 2019. February of 2020, the second edition came out. Wow. Foresight. I guess we. it's always nice to be lucky and be right once in a while. <laughs> Your report was fascinating. And just a, a few months ago, I was privileged to work on another white paper. It was called The Everywhere Workplace. And the findings are just so similar. But what was very interesting in your report, you talk about the three or four different constituencies. And we talk, I, I addressed those a little bit in your intro. But you talk about the impact that remote work has on employers, employees, the environment, and society. When you were going through that study, were there any things that any outcomes that just really surprised you that you didn't expect to happen? Just that there was so much evidence for the benefits, and you just have to wonder, and I've been doing this for two decades, why has it taken so long to take hold? There's study after study. There's meta-studies on productivity. There's meta-studies on innovation and uh, turnover. And we've got all kinds of case studies where companies were actually doing this prior to the pandemic and proved that it works. And yet it's, <laughs> I feel like I've been pushing this rock uphill for 20 years and now it's chasing me down the other side. In fact, to be honest, I feel like it's moving too quickly. So tell us a little bit when one of the things I've watched and listened to a couple of times, the congressional hearings, when they, especially when they had Facebook and Apple and some of the tech companies there, and sadly, our congressional leaders seem to be way out of touch. Talk about that experience a little bit. When you were talking about remote work, did they get it? I mean, we're talking about moving the behemoth of a government, that everybody would show up in all those buildings all over the country. They have all this real estate. Everybody has to commute to work. And then all of a sudden they didn't. What was their reaction? Is there any stickiness with the kind of an old, staunchy, bureaucratic organization? Well, there is. There's also a, a direct correlation between gray hair and <laughs> difficulty supporting remote work. I've got gray hair too, Ira. So if it just tends to be old school mentality, the bureaucracy adds to it, just getting anything done. But the congressional hearing was really about is this possible and what are the, the potential benefits? Now, they were already doing it. They were already in lockdown. And I found it very receptive on both sides, on the Democratic and Republican side. They were both on the panel that was looking at it. And they were just asking good questions. Is this possible? What have you seen happen in the public sector? How are we going to save money? But what about this? But what about our culture? And what about that social thing? Aren't people going to get lonely? You know, all those kinds of very good questions and questions that companies have been grappling with for some time. But we showed them the business case and then somebody else came up and showed them the business case. And I just, I really felt like they got it. 
Now, <laughs> since the year 2000, it's been a mandate that every government worker is to work at home to the maximum extent possible, the year 2000. And up until prior to the pandemic, we were only looking at maybe about 12% of the government workforce, which was higher than the public sector. They actually led the way in a lot of ways. Primarily, it was a continuity of operations play. That was what really started it with the government, and it was over bird flu. So this many years later, it's come around. If you want to be prepared for a disaster, you need to have the ability to have your people work remotely. You don't just turn it on and everybody's successful, as we've learned. Kate, regarding some of you know the questions or the resistance that we still see out there in the world around this idea of remote work and it being successful, I just wanted to share a couple examples that I saw, and I want to get your thoughts on it and how do we help move these kind of folks and still have this mentality. I want to share a quote with you. Funny enough, it's from a technology executive, a former CEO of Google. His name's Eric Schmidt, and he just made the news last week because in an interview that he did, he was quoted as saying, I don't know how you build great management virtually. And then later on in the interview, he went on to say that he's a traditionalist when it comes to work and that he wants things to go back to the way that they were, where people come back to the office. And then coupled with that, there also was a report on managers and how they're doing with managing remote teams. And I believe this was from Good Hire was the name of the company that did the study. And it was 77% of managers reported that they were ready to use stick tactics like threatening to fire people or cutting their pay if they didn't come back into the office. And so when you hear all the, this wonderful data that you've led research on, why are we still stuck in, in so many ways with organizations? And are there some tips that you have that have helped get organizations and leaders unstuck? First of all, every organization is unique. So I can't say everybody should be doing remote or doing hybrid. And I've never honestly been a big supporter of all remote. It's that combination that works. And traditionally, before the pandemic, it's been about two and a half days a week is optimal. And where we are right now is about managers want people in the office three to five days a week. Employees want to be in at home three to five days a week, and it'll probably meet somewhere in that middle. There's about 20% of the workforce that wants to work from home full-time, and there's about 20%, 25% of the workforce that wants to be in the office full-time. So it's that middle ground. But the problem is the same that it's been since Jack Nillis invented the term telework and telecommuting back in the 1970s. It's that managers simply don't trust their employees to work untethered. And that's not a remote work problem. That's a management problem. The former head of the USGSA said, telework doesn't create management problems, it reveals them. What it reveals is that you've got managers who are managing by basically butts in seats. Because if they were managing by results, it wouldn't matter where they work. They're getting the same results. And I haven't seen a single study in the past two years, and there have been plenty. This has been like Christmas morning, <laughs> 365, watching all this new data come out. And it's been very consistent, not just among the data that's coming out now, but it's been consistent with what we saw before the pandemic. So only about 11% of managers say that they have lost productivity during the pandemic or that their work has suffered. But we still want them to come in. <laughs> about half of them still want those people to come in. If you think about the fact that the majority of online shopping prior to the pandemic happened 
during working hours. <laughs> you can see the flaw <laughs> in that I have to be able to see my people to know that they're working. In fact, there was a study some years ago, and I think it was in the federal government, where people were quoted as saying, I come into the office because I'm monitored too much when I'm working at home. <laughs> I can get away with more when I'm here. But if you think about it, it's only equitable that we're all measured in the same way. And the other thing that happens with remote work is the slackers have nowhere to hide. If you're being measured by results, then people aren't going to be able to get away with not doing the work that they need to do. Because that drags down the morale of the whole organization. If they know that they're dragging Charlie along, they're working really hard, but Charlie isn't. It really is demoralizing. I love that you talked about that it revealed the management problems because I talk about it pulled back the curtain, uh, and especially on the labor shortages that we have now. As companies are fighting to attract, to have access to new workers, remote work opens that up. You can go anywhere in the world and get top talent, but then it's the retention issue. And when 70 to 80% of employees are saying, we prefer to work hybrid, and then you have these organizations that could work hybrid because there's certain jobs that can't, that they're demanding that everybody come back. It just seems so counterintuitive. Oh, it absolutely. And so back to Eric Schmidt's comment, you're just not going to be able to hire the best and the brightest if you don't allow people to work how they work best. There was a study recently that I read about night owls and how difficult it is for a night owl to work during the day. Their output suffers. You're forcing yourself into somebody else's routine and it's not good for you and it's not good for your work. I'm an introvert and offices are made for extroverts, very definitely. And it's been a relief and I've talked to other introverts over the past couple of years to not have to have that excuse handy for why you don't want to go out for drinks tonight. And one of the things that I talk to my clients is about, we've got to even that playing field. We all became equal squares on a screen during the past two years. And that really improved a lot of things. I'm not saying it's a panacea. I'm not saying it all worked perfectly, but it, it did level the playing field. To your point about the attraction and retention, I don't think we would be talking about hybrid as much as we are. I don't think organizations would be going for it as much as they are were we not in talent shortages. Employees have wanted this for as long as I've been studying it. And the, the number has been about 80% of employees have said they want to work from home at least some of the time. So that hasn't changed. What has changed is that now they feel that they can ask for it, in some cases even demand it, because they have alternatives. I've got a client in the legal industry and hugely stressful industry. They're looking around and saying, wow, this has been a real relief to not have to drive into these big cities. And there are other firms that are offering a lot of uh, remote work. So that, that's where I'm going to be looking. And the recruiters are looking there too. As soon as somebody comes out with that strict policy of you have to be back in the office, the recruiters are all over the employees in that firm. But it's been the elephant in the room for a very long time. There's just no reason to have these giant buildings and, and have us spending an hour or two hours a day in a very stressful situation. OSHA says that the commute is one of the most dangerous parts of your day. It just hasn't made any sense for a long time. We've shown over the years that you can hire from all over the world, that it does improve retention because it was a good gig. People don't want to give it up. It'll be interesting to see if that shakes out in the future. If we're all available, if we're all allowed to do hybrid, will that edge still mean anything of working for a company that 
allows flexibility. I had one client that, that said, it's easy to quit a keyboard. But think about it, right? You're, you're sitting there in your office and tomorrow you're, you have a new job and you're sitting there in your office kind of doing the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. The productivity fact, it's just irrefutable. Study after study, academic study, case studies during the, the pandemic measured productivity as well as just, hey, I feel more productive, has been higher. One of the studies out of University of Pennsylvania puts the number at about 6% increase in productivity. I've seen documented increase as high as 55%. That was in the call center industry. And more typically about 15% because people give back about half of the time they would have otherwise spent commuting. And that's the other edge of that double-edged sword, because what we really have to watch out for is overworking. This has been a problem with remote work for years. Without all those cues of people coming and going to lunch, it's easy to just sit there all day long and all night long. Kate, in your research, for some of the folks who, who may actually struggle with working from home, like you referenced that maybe for folks who are introverts, it might be more of a preferable working condition, but maybe some of the extroverts are like, I'd really like to get back to the office so that I can get some of more of that in-person interaction. I'm curious, in your research, for the folks who may struggle more with working from home, are there some tips or strategies that have come out of your work that tend to be good recommendations for how that can improve for them? One of the things that surprised us early on in the pandemic, we launched one of the very first surveys. I think we did it in March uh, or early April. And we were really surprised to find that the younger generation was having the hardest time with remote work. Here we thought they'd be the tech-savvy people. They were used to working on their phones and, and working remotely. Turns out it's because they don't have the right home situation. They typically have a, a smaller home or apartment, or they're sharing a place with colleagues or their friends. It's just not conducive. And one of the corollaries to being a successful remote worker is having a place, a dedicated place to work. You can only work at the dining room table and be successful for so long. So that was really what was behind that. One of the things that we're seeing some of our clients do is go to co-working centers. So give people a co-working stipend. They can still reduce the commute. They can still be closer to home. They can even co-work with other colleagues that are nearby. The hybrid also helps that. The amount of time we need to spend with people to feel good about relationships, to strengthen trust bonds is far less than people think. You get to the office and Harry tells you the story about his fishing trip <laughs> for the sixth time, or you hear it around the office for the sixth time. It's like, okay, that's enough of Harry. But all remote companies find that they can do that with just once or twice a year in-person get-togethers. I also think that something that's going to happen is some of the people that want to be back at the office, there's this, there's this memory that may be a bit false. There was this couple that you used to get together for dinner with all the time, and you say to your spouse, hey, we haven't gotten together with them for a long time. Let's go out for dinner. And you do. And on the way back in the car, you say, I remember why we stopped getting together with them. So I'm not sure those memories are going to prove true. But as I said, every individual is different. We found cultural differences. We found geographic differences. We've found neurodiverse differences. And that's another thing that, that the pandemic has offered is a opportunity for people that are uh, on the spectrum, people that can't deal with the cacophony of the commute or uh, standard office life. I also think that one of the reasons people want to work from home so badly is because we've made the office so bloody awful. When you walk into an office and people wearing headphones, that should be a hint. 
that's not right. <laughs> and we went to this big open office concept under the guise of it was going to make us collaborate. It didn't. It made us more quiet. And it was really to save money. And that was an outcome of the last big recession. And our offices just kept getting smaller and smaller, noisier and noisier. There's only a few things an office needs to get right. It needs to have good thermal comfort, heating and cooling. It needs to have low noise. It needs to have good air quality. And it needs to have good coffee. And we haven't gotten that right for decades. <laughs> There's a survey called the Leesman Survey, and they've measured, gosh, I think 300,000 employees also before the pandemic and during the pandemic. And a very small percentage, under 20%, said that their office is more conducive to work than their home. So they're saying that my home is a better place to work. We've even found in terms of collaboration that people can collaborate just as well virtually, but they prefer to be in person. And so to your question earlier, uh, Jason, about what can people do, what can companies do, a lot of them are talking about flipping the 70-30 ratio. So 70% me space, individual space, and 30% we space, social space, get-together spaces, and flipping that. Because if what people want to come to the office for is to collaborate and to socialize, then we need to give them different places of work. Companies, facilities were less than 50% occupied before the pandemic. Study after study has shown that. So it's not that they already left the building, but they'd left their desk. And what now is becoming the norm is activity-based working, where you maybe don't have an assigned seat if, if you're going to work from home three days a week, but you have six or seven other spaces around the facility that you can escape to depending on what kind of work you need to get done on a particular day. One of my big concerns about all of this is that we're going to forget that people still need focus time. About 50% of our work is focus work. So when we go to the office to collaborate, that's not the only thing we're going to do. We're going to need places for privacy. So I, I think that 70-30 ratio that people are talking about has to be something less on the social side and more on the private side. It's so interesting, Kate. The theme that seems to be going through this with this movement of whether we go remote or in person or hybrid is going back to that the problem is companies or managers haven't figured out how to manage remote work or hybrid workers or remote and hybrid recruitment and retention and motivation. And therefore, let's go back to the way it was, which we were comfortable for. I remember when I started this business and it was even before that. And the big issue, there were consultants writing books about the advantages of hanging around the water cooler and also the loss of productivity of hanging around the water cooler. And very few people have ever gotten meetings that worked. And all of a sudden it became, the problem is the screen. We're not in the same room. And people made a, a really good living about how to improve meetings that were never good in the first place. And now all of a sudden it's because it's digital. I love that you, you brought that up because I hear it constantly. Yeah, but what about all those water cooler moments? First of all, let's not try to recreate processes that were broken to begin with. Let's try to use technology to improve the way we work, not to replicate it. And I'm afraid that in a lot of ways, because we've been in this triage mode over the last couple of years, we've always been going to go back in three months or in three months and in three months. And so we haven't really done any, any rigorous 
change management and, and looking at processes of how work has changed. I, I equate it to in a phase where back when we got cell phones, we only used them in the house. Or back when we got smartphones, we only used them to make phone calls. That's what we're doing right now. We would have spent six months to a year working with a company prior to the pandemic to launch even a very small remote work program because of all the things that they need to know and ways to manage and training and technology and processes and practices. And to your point, Ira, meetings, meetings have been broken for a very long time and we do actually have a way to make them better and, and to get rid of a lot of them through asynchronous processes, through better technology in conference rooms, which has developed rapidly over the last two years. I don't know if you've seen Zoom now has a, a feature where it captures the people in the room and puts them up on the screen. So everybody's seeing everybody in that same sort of same sort of square that we've become used to. Another company called Owl Labs has a, a microphone that sits in the middle of the table and video, and it spins to the person that's speaking so that the microphone is directional, but also so that you see that person's face. And there's a whole lot of other things in terms of having hybrid meetings that I think anything we do to make ourselves more ready for remote work is going to benefit however we work, right? If we get management, if we get our meetings better, whether you're nine floors, nine miles, or nine time zones away, you're already working remotely. There's already somebody on that call that is from another country or in another state or whatever. And so all of these practices and processes that we can improve, regardless of whether an organization is going to do uh, remote or hybrid, will benefit them in the long run. I always have to laugh when, when I hear all the positions and it's like remote work, hybrid work won't work. What about your sales team? Where, where have your sales forces been for the last 20 or 30 years? Were they all coming in the morning and getting their assignments, having a group meeting, a group hug, and then flying across the country to go to a meeting? They were remote and that drove the business. And now all of a sudden it doesn't work. And while people are listening is they may be in construction they may be in manufacturing, they may be in healthcare. Out of the entire workforce, and I just want to confirm this is correct, there's really only about, is it about 40% of jobs could even at this point be remote? We estimated before the pandemic about 56%. That was as a result of going through the Bureau of Labor Statistics data and looking at each type of job set, what percentage did work from home now and, and using a lot of math to, to figure that out. It's turned out Gallup found that 61% of people did work from home uh, during the pandemic. That's the ultimate proof in the pudding, I think. On the other hand, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released some data saying that 43% did. So it's just so hard to get good numbers. It's somewhere between 43% and 60%. I think in the big cities, it's going to be uh, much higher in the long run. It's going to be much higher because of things we've learned. I was just reading an article this morning about a fuel company that does pipe inspections. And during the pandemic, they learned to do them with robots so that the people could sit at home and operate the robot to do the inspections. I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. We'll see holograms. So we've got these virtual worlds with avatars that people are creating. Uh, that one, I don't know, maybe it's my age or my, my gender, but I, I just don't get into those virtual worlds. Well, there's so much to unpack right there. But going back to my question, is there's still going to be about half of the workforce is not going to be remote. When we talk about, well, 80% or 50% of the workforce, that's 50% of 
it's still not the entire workforce is all going to be sitting at home because they don't have that option. There were two things. One is, and I think we touched on this indirectly, in addition to Eric Schmidt, we had Laszlo Bach came out with his recent, not mandate, but idea um, of going back to work. Jamie Dimon, a lot of the financial people are talking about going back to work. And yet at the same time, all their initiatives include diversity and inclusion. Now, I, I get it, but to get workers, and maybe not to Goldman Sachs or Google or Facebook or Apple, but when we're talking about the local fast food restaurant and that they're going to get, even if they get minimum wage, even if they're getting 15 or $18 an hour in New York City and Los Angeles and some of these cities, that's poverty level. And the transportation now with the increased cost of transportation and fuel to get to work, this problem has been going on for 20 years. They had to literally bus people in from an hour away to bring in lower income workers to do these fast food jobs where this opens up the door. Now, it doesn't take care of the fast few jobs, but if an organization is really looking at diversifying and being able to outreach, now they can do it. Exactly. And although there is a concern that we're actually going to increase the digital divide, it's the lower income jobs that are mostly not able to work remotely. I read a report recently that, that showed that managers that were going to allow continued work from home skewed very much to the high-end, high-educated, just as it was before the, the pandemic. Racial minorities and women are both more inclined to work from home. This has been shown. So if they do, and if they are passed over for raises and promotions, that's going to increase the divide. That other 50% is a very important conversation. Before the pandemic, we would have been talking to a client about a suite of flexibility. People don't necessarily want to work from home. They want control. They, they want some control over their lives. 95% of people say they want control over when they work, higher than where they work. Just giving people the opportunity to come in within flexible hours or leave within flexible hours or go home and, and do something and then come back or work part-time or job share or compressed work week. There has to be something in it for everyone. And that's going to take some hard thinking. Well, I think you nailed it when you mentioned flexible. People want flexible work. Flexibility is still the number one benefit. It's the number one thing that employees ask for. And flexibility does not necessarily mean that I have to work 100% remote. It may be when they work, how they work, what the workspace looks like, who they work with. That's one of the things that we had to get. We've known since the 50s that what people want is to have goals, have the tools to meet their goals, and then get out of the way and let them do their work. And that is something that's different about remote management. Most managers are coaches, not managers. Their job is to make sure that you've got everything you need to be successful. And that's good management. That's good management, whether you call it remote or hybrid or telecommuting or on-site. We're going to have to get you back for, for another episode. And the one thing that I want to talk about, and, and I don't think you addressed this, but I'd love your opinion on it. Working with that, the Everywhere Workplace report and working with Avanti, it's a cybersecurity company. What a lot of companies aren't addressing is that when people start coming back to work for two years, they've been working on their own devices, shared devices. They bought new devices. They weren't logged on to the networks. So they're bringing in everywhere from an, a watch to a phone, to a tablet, to a laptop and tying into their networks. And most companies, when they're bringing people back, 
they're not taking that into consideration of what the, the cybersecurity threat of actually eliminating this. And, and even if they have hybrid, they still have to figure that out. But bringing everybody back in does not eliminate that problem. That's a perfect example of what we haven't done over this last two years. That's the kind of thing that were we planning this in some sort of orderly fashion, we absolutely would have taken into consideration. But it really comes down to behavior, the whole security issue, as much as having the right equipment. That, that big breach years ago with the social security was because somebody left their laptop somewhere. It didn't have anything to do with cybersecurity, really. It, it's really a mindset. And, and it's one of those things that we really have to drill into people. I think it'll become easier. I think we've learned a lot during the pandemic. But as soon as you, soon as you lock stuff down, there's going to be some criminal that's going to figure out how to unlock it. <laughs> Before Jason jumps into our lightning round questions with you, one of the questions we've started to ask uh, all our guests, is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't? I think the whole sustainability issue is still a question. Sad to say, though you said at the beginning that greenhouse gases went down, it has turned out over uh, last year, vehicle miles traveled went up and traffic accidents went up. So there's a behavioral component there. The, tri the trips that we used to make on the way to and from the office, we're now making as individual trips. We have reduced congestion and that's more detrimental to the environment than just vehicle miles traveled. So that's good. But we've got to get people in the mindset of behaving with the environment in mind. I can't believe that our time's coming to a close, but we want to finish with one of our favorite segments here. We call it our lightning round. And we're just going to ask you a few questions so that our listeners can get to know Kate Lister on more of a personal level. Spent a lot of time here talking professionally, but now we're going to swing things over to personally here for the last few minutes. So what would be one thing you think that your classmates would be surprised to see about you now? That I'm speaking in front of groups, <laughs> that I'm talking on podcasts. <laughs> I was always the, the wallflower, the quiet one. I think they'd be surprised to see that I'm doing that. Absolutely. How about if you won the lottery today, what do you think you would do as your first thing? Wow. Take my whole family on a trip. Nice. A any particular place come to mind? A big lake. I love water. I'm looking at the ocean from where I sit, but I'm a lake person. I just love lakes. So get everybody together and have a great time. How about a favorite book or maybe a, a word or a theme that you've had for this year? I love a lot of books. <laughs> I read a lot of books and I, I tend to read fiction rather than nonfiction. Devil in the White City. It's a story about the Chicago World Fair. It's, it's not a new book, but all that went into the very first World Fair in the United States. And we didn't have electricity. We were just demonstrating electricity in the World Fair. And there's a story thread to it, but it was all done from historical letters. That sounds really interesting. And that's fascinating, too, that you really enjoy reading fiction books. I imagine probably with how much nonfiction and research that you're in, that sometimes you probably have to detach a little bit and use that other part of the brain, too. That's incredible. So, Kate, if people want to learn about your research, about your company, download any of the white papers, how can they do that? Globalworkplaceanalytics.com. And you'll see a page for the white papers. We did one recently for companies explaining all of the difficulties in working across state lines and country lines, the, the labor laws and the, the tax laws and just some of the nuances of that. And I have one final question. We were talking about this a little bit before, and we got to keep the answer pretty short. 
but you just had the opportunity to work what the future of aviation would look like in 2050. Yeah. And what did you walk away from that with? Was there anything that surprised you? Unfortunately, they were the ones asking the questions, not me. I would have preferred that it be the other way around. Just the amount of thought that has to go into something like that. Are we going to have flying cars? We are moving in that direction, but are we going to need them if we get cars off the road? Is that also going to create more of a a divide in society? It's interesting to think that far out. Kate, really appreciate you being here. The wonderful conversation, so much more that we can ask. And obviously, it's a, it is a, an evolving story. And uh, hopefully, we can get you back and uh, we'll certainly be following, as I have for almost 15, 20 years, followed your work on telecommuting all the way up to where we are today. And it's just fascinating how quickly it, it turned around for us. Well, thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Ira, what a fascinating conversation today. There were so many highlights from what Kate shared. What were some things that really stood out to you today? I took so many notes. Certainly one was, and and you've heard me say this, that the pandemic didn't cause a lot of these things. It accelerated remote work, hybrid work, but it really revealed and exposed all the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of management. And it, it seemed, I love the one phrase she has, Let's not use technology to renew the practices that didn't work before. And it wasn't the exact words, but it seems so much. And we talked about Laszlo Bach and Eric Schmidt and Jamie Dimon and so many other leaders that are saying, oh, everybody's got to come back to work. We, we need to go back to the old way of work. And yet we heard over and over again, meetings weren't working, those water cooler moments. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. It, depended, it really depended on the culture. We've talked so much about culture water cooler moments uh, that worked very likely in an office, somehow those same people figured out how to be creative and share those moments either through Slack or through a Zoom meeting or through a text in some way. And many organizations have. So the I, I think the big issue is right now is people are, are pointing their finger and gaslighting technology is the problem when the reality is it's that we need to learn how can we manage better? How can we become smarter at using the technology and using this opportunity to work remote, work hybrid, to make lives better for employers, employees, and the environment. And for me, when she shared that the younger generation are the ones who are struggling more with working from home, that was a big surprise for me. And then she went on to explain that a lot of the context in terms of how their home environment set up can make it challenging to be as productive as other workers. So that was a surprise one for me. And then the other aha was how working from home has actually opened up more doors of opportunity for folks who may have certain types of handicapping or disability type conditions. And she specifically mentioned autism spectrum disorder and how for some of those folks, especially who maybe used to be classified in Asperger's syndrome, where it's high functioning, but the social piece may be a little bit lacking. That for them, working from home has opened up a lot more career opportunities and career paths possibly than would have been afforded to them if they were going into the office like we have been doing traditionally. So those were a couple of the takeaways for me. Which all just goes back to, I just don't get it. We obviously live this space. We have our biases. I've worked remote for 15, 16 years. You've, you've been working remote. We're used to it. 
a lot of other people aren't. It also just affects a relatively, not a small part, but less than half of, the, of our workforce can could can even have that option until we figure out all the autonomous vehicles and sensors and holograms and AR and VR and, and the metaverse. That's right. Coming soon. Very soon. The future is now. The never normal. I'm Jason Cochran. You've been listening to Geeks, Geezers, Googleization. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>